And this is why I think that the citizens of third world countries that have experienced hyperinflation, they don't need to be evangelized the benefits of something like Bitcoin because they've lived through it. On today's show, I'm talking to Jameson Lott, the co-founder of CASA, the safe way to store your Bitcoin. And why does that matter right now? Well, you've probably seen that Bitcoin is all over the media, but the hype this time is different. And we're going to explain why it's different and potentially why you need to pay a little bit more attention. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some news and opinion. So today's guest, Jameson, um, we, we were just saying, he, he obviously at the beginning of the intro uh, doesn't like to reveal exactly where he is in the US. And you were saying that that seems to be quite a common feature. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I find it a bit odd, really. Well, not odd, but like each to their own. I mean, you know, if you don't want to tell people where you are or give away your location, that's fine. But, you know, whereas, like I said to you before we hit record, I'm like, yeah, if someone asks for my address, I'll give it. Like, I don't really, you know, I'm not really fussed by it. You know, if you want to send me some stuff, send me some stuff. I don't care. Um, it has been know. pointed out to me that because I use Strava and it's very, very, very open, I don't have any real security features on it. Yeah. I basically advertise what time I'm out of the house every single day and where I live and roughly how long I'm going to be out for. Yeah. Which probably isn't very sensible. Yeah, also, and, and, and I think... I think when your when your trading gets ramped up, you do like the little photos as well, so you can literally see where you are at each point. So, I mean, if you, I'm not saying you're you're that you're that way inclined, but if you did something that you shouldn't be doing, then I think you could be tracked very very easily, Dave. <laughs> to be honest, oh mate, yeah, like I, if I if I try to get away with any serious crime, I've, yeah. I've, I've got just, paper trails everywhere. Just catch him pre eight o'clock next to the Thames. <laughs> It'll be it'll be the guy running in some naughty naughty running shoes. <laughs> but no, yeah. but I do I do totally respect Jameson's choice, and I understand why some people are more uh, wary and want to protect their their details. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it does just make me think like hmm, maybe I'm a little bit too liberal with sprinkling data left, right, and center. Yeah, I mean, and we've had this chat before, right, about like people you know not wanting to share their data and being quite cautious which is fine it's, it's a personal choice but i think me and you are quite similar in that aspect where we'll have yeah i think we'll happily put our emails into like these things that, that come up you know where it says oh if you want to view this web page put your email in we're like yeah no problem put my email in you know put your, your age in whatever it doesn't matter um i think people uh, would refer yeah. to us as happy fools just fools i think uh well, i mean i was having a chat uh for the in conversation with uh video series with with the, the latest ones with a guy called william reeve and he was talking about the fact that you know he's quite happy for google to have have a lot of information on him because he quite likes it when he's when he's like away from home and he wants to know the quickest route home and it's like how get me home in two clicks and he doesn't know how to put an address in you yeah. know it's stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah exactly very very good and also with targeted ads if i'm honest like a lot i know a lot of people complain about them but you know if I, if i'm getting stuff thrown in my face on things that i generally like and will click on and probably will end up buying at some point or at least contemplating or buying i don't mind <laughs> you know you'd rather that than random stuff just appearing on your phone like you know 
I don't know. You you're probably playing into the hands of algorithms and all these. Uh, well, I, I, I think that they're, they're, I think that they're all bullshit anyway. Because as soon as I buy a pair of trainers, it throws a whole load of trainers at me. It's like no, I yeah. just bought trainers. I don't need more trainers. Yeah, actually, yeah. that's not entirely true. You always need more trainers. But yeah. anyway, let's get mm. into the interview. Uh, it is with Jameson Lop. He is. I'm going to get this right. He is a cipher. Cypher, I he said funk, Cypher Punk CTO, and he's the co-founder of CASA. Uh, so um, we'll hand over to Jameson. Uh, he is going to tell us why this hype cycle in Bitcoin is markedly different from previous ones. Today, I'm joined by Jameson Lopp. Uh, Jameson, thank you for taking some time to join me on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I know you're somewhere in the United States, uh, exactly where we, we don't know, which is a story in itself. But uh, given that it's only 10 past two here in the UK. Good morning. I hope it's not too early. No, not at all. We're we're good. I usually wake up around five o'clock in the morning anyway. Fair enough. <laughs> Look, you were introduced to me um, by mutual contact as, as being a kind of a cybersecurity lord in the Bitcoin space, which I think is a wonderful way of introducing someone. Um, but you you do run a business. You've just closed a, a funding round. So do you want, do you want to just kind of take... Uh, a, a minute to, to explain what your role and what your business actually does. Sure. I've been full-time in the Bitcoin space since early 2015. So I guess that's about six years now. Uh, first half of that period, I was working for an enterprise security company called BitGo, uh, really helping exchanges and other large companies manage their Bitcoin wallets to try to make it less likely that they get hacked. Uh, so it's a big problem, especially when you're running a service that is constantly transacting in Bitcoin. Uh, about three years ago, I transitioned to found Casa, which uses some similar technology with uh, Bitcoin, essentially this uh, ability to create uh, multi-signature wallets that require multiple different keys to be used in order to actually spend the Bitcoin, which of course makes it a lot harder to lose or, or have someone steal it from you. And the the main difference of what I've been doing for the past three years is that instead of focusing on enterprise security, I've been focusing on individual security, uh, specific, specifically at the high net worth individual level uh, is where we started out uh, offering much more bespoke white glove type of services for people who had you know millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin that they wanted to self-custody. And then over the years, we've been uh, creating other tiers of service that are more affordable, more scalable, easier for common people to get into because quite honestly, uh, the the features of Bitcoin that make it so valuable, it's a double-edged sword, which also means that it's very unforgiving in the sense that if you make a mistake, there's no one you can go to that can undo your mistake. So you have to put in your due diligence upfront if you really want to uh, fully capture the value of this system. So, um, look, forgive me for my naivety. I am not a Bitcoin expert. We've had a few um, Bitcoin uh, commentators and people who work in the industry on the show over the years. But yeah, I, 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 I have an interest in it, but I'm fairly, fairly uh, naive. Um, you say there about protecting people, individual security against their Bitcoin being stolen. I always imagined that Bitcoin was one of those currencies that was already pretty secure by its very nature. Well, you know, security is a really 
complicated topic because there are so many different facets to it. Bitcoin as a system, as a whole, as as a network, as this uh, distributed set of tens of thousands of machines that are running all around the world to come to a consensus about what the Bitcoin ledger is. That is a very secure system simply because it's so highly distributed. There, there is no single point of failure. It is often referred to as anti-fragile in the sense that it's constantly getting attacked. But these attacks just expose tiny little flaws that people then react to and make themselves even more secure. So the system as, it's, as a whole over the past 10 years has been getting stronger and stronger from a variety of different perspectives. At the individual level, uh, at the you know, wallet and private key management level, security is a whole other problem set. And it is quite easy for someone who doesn't know what they're doing to get into Bitcoin and do something ignorant that places their private keys at risk. And those keys can get either lost or stolen. But you know, either way, the result is the same catastrophic loss of all of your money. And that is what we're trying to make it harder for people to shoot themselves in the foot. Um, I think this is a necessary requirement in order for Bitcoin to go mainstream. People need to be confident that they can navigate this system without losing all their money. Now look, Bitcoin has, has been back in the news recently, though the price has been soaring. Um, we've obviously had bubbles before with, with 2017. Um, what do you think do you think what we're going through now is different? And if it is, then why is it different? It is different because this is not a retail-fueled hype cycle, at least not yet. I think eventually it will. That is sort of the nature of the tech adoption life cycle and more specifically the bitcoin adoption life cycle which we've seen uh four or five cycles happen you know over the past decade and you know each time it's different but also the same and you know the differences are that there's always different small catalysts or different new sets of players coming in that will spark the the hype cycle uh often a new wave that will then eventually hit mainstream media and trickle down to the point that your your cab driver is recommending you to invest in bitcoin and all of these other things but where we are right now and i track a number of different metrics uh and and of course i just sort of have the gut feeling based on who is talking to me and whether or not i'm getting random messages from people i haven't heard from in many years but where we are right now seems to be more of an institutional uh, driven part of the cycle, which we haven't really seen before. It is, it's big money, uh, but fewer number of players and entities. So that's why you, you know, you're seeing the price go up a fair amount, but it's a small number of entities that are making larger purchases and they're not being extremely loud about it, at least until after they've fully entered their position, at which point, of course, they'll be happy to speak about why the uh, Bitcoin investment that they made is going to 10x or whatever. But I think that it is only a matter of time until that trickles down. You know, Mainstream media has already started to pick up on it, but uh, what I have not seen yet is sort of the flood 
of masses that are they're talking about how they're going to get rich quick. Like that's when you know the the top of the bubble is in is probably going to correct, and then we'll, we'll be going through another market cycle. But you know, it it might even be somewhat different this time around if we do get to that retail mania phase and there is a big sell-off, the fact that now there's all of these billion dollar institutions in play may actually dampen out that cycle because they may see that as a major buying opportunity. Who knows? Um, you know, I, I try not to speculate too much on the exchange rate as I'm more of a technologist. And those institutions that are getting involved, are they, are they, banking firms beginning to look at this is it just high net worth individuals with maybe asset management funds or people who are you know are these long-term investments because I, I would imagine if it's the kind of institutions who have not paid attention to bitcoin before that could be a watershed moment right in terms of it being taken more seriously as a credible um uh currency beyond the community it's existed into this point so I think that a number of institutions started paying attention during the last hype cycle and they started doing basically several years of diligence into Bitcoin. And now that diligence has matured. It's starting to pay off to the point that there are people within these institutions who no longer fear losing their reputation and credibility for mentioning, hey, maybe we should think about having you know part of our portfolio or our corporate treasury in Bitcoin. And part of that is just due to the fact that Bitcoin has lasted so long. But I think another major part that you can't uh, leave out is just the macroeconomic environment and the, the fact that we have seen uh, levels of money printing that are just unheard of. Uh, this is the type of thing that Bitcoiners like myself were warning people about many years ago, but were generally laughed off as, oh, that'll never happen in the first world countries type of thing. But now it has happened. And I think a lot of people in the finance space that worry about stuff like that are trying to reevaluate their positions and think, well, you know, what are my options to hedge against the fact that um, the inflation seems to be out of control? There's nothing I can do about it. How do I protect my assets? You talk there about the first world. If we if we look at kind of the everyday person on the street, and I suppose if, if Bitcoin is going to get wider adoption, then it does come to to people like me, kind of going, "All right, well, how how could I use this? How could I how could I use this on a practical day to day basis?" Um, when we were prepping for this recording, you said that it's harder to convince first world citizens, and it's much easier to convince third world citizens um, because to them it's not a theoretical. Would you would you just, would you just explain that? Because I think it's it's a point worth making. Right. So I've been kind of evangelizing the benefits of Bitcoin for many years. And for the majority of that time, when I was talking to my own peer group, generally their eyes would glaze over um, because you, you can talk all about Bitcoin and why it's cool, but eventually you then have to talk about money as a concept. And most people don't even really think about money as a concept. It's just something that they are presented with and they use it and that's it. They don't worry about the underlying fundamentals, the mechanics of how money works. And so 
if you are in a first world country that has a strong financial system, if you are well banked, you have access to all types of different financial infrastructure, then you probably don't really care about the fundamentals of money because it works pretty well for you. So I think when it comes to technology in general, simply creating technology and then trying to evangelize it is generally a lost cause. You might get some early adopter nerdy types, but if you really want mass adoption of a technology, it needs to be solving some fundamental pain point for people. And this is why I think that the citizens of third world countries that have experienced hyperinflation, they don't need to be evangelized the benefits of something like Bitcoin because they've lived through it. Um, I would say one of the biggest Bitcoin evangelists, actually, uh, Winces Cesaris, uh, he talks about how the reason that he got into Bitcoin was because his family lost their entire wealth three times over you know, the period that he was growing up in uh, Argentina, I believe. And, and so he didn't it wasn't a theoretical to him. He didn't need to think about, oh, this edge case might happen. It was rather, I know this is going to happen in certain situations, so I might as well protect myself from that risk. So, um, you know, we are seeing, like we said, the sort of first world major financial institutions and, and large players get into the space right now. There has been some adoption in in third world countries, though I think it's tricky just because they tend to uh, lack a, a lot of the technical infrastructure that you may need in order to to use these technologies. And of course, it's always it's a network effect type of issue. So there's footholds that have been set. They're still pretty tiny in most of the non first world countries, but I would not at all be surprised if those footholds end up growing a lot faster than what we've seen in first world countries. So what is likely to make those footholds grow faster in first world countries? Where does it switch from being something where it's due to diligence and, and big players quietly putting money in and it actually being something that you know the, the, the everyday person on the street is going to notice and, and it's going to play a part in their lives? Well, so there's the value proposition question. So we've we've seen this massive money printing effort happen. The question though becomes when does the man on the street start to feel the effects of that? And it may be starting to happen now, but you know the the problem is that the actual rate of money creation is not immediately represented in things like the consumer price index. It's really not until people start to realize that the value of their money is no longer purchasing the same amount of goods and services that they'll start to feel the pain and the value proposition will no longer be theoretical. Uh, outside of that, it's also just this is a, a sort of network of reputation effect. And so for many years, it was just the uh, crazy libertarian technologists like myself who were espousing the values of Bitcoin. And most people easily brushed us off because we were nobodies. Um, there was no reason to believe that these uh, farcical edge case ideas might ever come true. But now you have 
not one, not two, but many well-respected billionaires who are starting to tout the value of Bitcoin. Um, I guess the, the biggest one, you know, just in the past week or two, Elon Musk starts talking about how much he likes Bitcoin. Um, you know, when the quote unquote richest man in the world says that he wants Bitcoin, um, that's there's no way around that. Like people have to pay attention to that. So look, I mean, I think it's a, it's an interesting, it sounds like we're at a tipping point. Um, probably a brilliant time for you to have been raising money uh, and closing or closing a, a, a financial uh, uh, round. Um, so I, I hope that goes well and fuels um, the business over the next, well, the next year or so at least, uh, depending on, on how quickly you go through that and, and how quickly you grow. Um, but thanks for taking some time and talking through some of these uh, through some of these issues and have a lovely afternoon. Thanks for having me. Right. One of my favorite lines in the interview is a catastrophic loss of all your money. Definitely want to avoid that. It's not one of the most insightful moments. He makes some really, really good points the whole way through, but it did make me kind of uh, listening back to it go, yeah, that is something we definitely want to avoid. People being a little bit naive and suffering a catastrophic loss of all your money. Mm. A lot, of, a lot of loss of your money, right? That is that. That's that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you just don't want to lose all of it, do you? No, because you've exactly. been naive. But no. uh, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting that 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 is uh, something that they still need to educate people around where this is concerned. Now, but look, getting into the serious stuff. Um, Bitcoin's been all over the press. Mm. Elon Musk has gone and you know bought a billion. Mm. Um, uh, there's plenty of stories of serious investments being made. But Jameson describes why it's different. It's different because it's not retail fueled. It's at an institutional level. Institutions are driving it. It's big money, but fewer entities. They're not necessarily being loud about it until they've made that investment anyway. Mm. Um, it's and there is this element that I think is really interesting that people in those large legacy institutions or established institutions are no longer scared to talk about it for fear of loss of reputation. Yeah, and and I think I think because maybe it's becoming a bit more normalised, and and you're not you know following some sort of cult. I think whereas ten years ago, twelve years ago, if if uh, who who was a big Elon Musk individual ten twelve years ago, Bill Gates. Steve Maybe. Jobs, yeah, Steve Jobs. So, you know, if, if someone like him came out and said, uh, "Oh, you know, all the revenue that I've generated from selling you these iPhones and iPods, um, I'm going to now, um, you know, pump a load of money and 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 invest in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular," everyone would have gone, "This guy's nuts." But you know, having said that, I think it's a bit more normalized now. And and when people like Elon Musk say things, not only does it get the press coverage. And and it will get the positive press coverage. Don't get me wrong. Well, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a divisive character. Yeah, but like, but compare compare that to him and and you know a, a very famous YouTuber. You know, all these kind of YouTuber type people have, have have said um you know how much they've got invested in Bitcoin and and kind of the money they've made and all these sorts of things. But uh, you know, if if someone like him says it, it kind of normalizes it and and. You know, the average person then starts to, someone like me, starts to then read into it and go, actually, do you know what? He's probably got a point here. Um, but then again, it opens it up to a lot more security issues and 
I guess, threats from people because suddenly there's this huge surge of, you know, your average person that maybe doesn't really know is naive, um, like me. And, um, you know, you could just open yourself up to a whole range of security threats, which Jameson could, you know. I mean, picking up on your point, though, um, he, he, Jameson really, I think, eloquently articulates why we don't need evangelizing this time around, perhaps. Mm. You know, he talks about the fact that in the third world, countries where hyperinflation is part of the norm, yeah, you know, that skepticism about jumping onto a new platform like this isn't there because mm. they've experienced, um, you know, real catastrophe around monetary systems. It's not theoretical for them. They don't need Elon Musk to evangelize uh, mm. and tell everyone that it's wonderful and you should put your money there because um, you know in the same way that those those institutions are reevaluating their positions to protect their assets, the macroeconomic climate now um, means that countries are printing lots of money and the 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 West is beginning to come into line with the economic south of the world and maybe we are going. Christ, what happens if there's a run on an economy? You know, what happens if the assets that we traditionally hold off our, our finances own uh, suddenly destabilize? Mm, exactly. And then it, it gives everyone a bit of a safety net, doesn't it, really? Where I think in the past, you know, the perception's always been, oh, this is a bit of a punt. And, you know, you kind of put your money in there and over X amount of years, you know, you. Put, for example, you know, put in a few thousand and, and in X amount of years, you might have a few hundred thousand or whatever, or, or tens of thousands, right? But I think now it's actually becoming to, it, it's, I think it has, to be fair, not becoming, but I think it has come to a level where people are now believing this as a real financial product and, and saying, mm. right, you know, this is, this is for real, this is serious. You know, not only can this generate uh, a sizable amount of revenue for for the average person, should they choose to invest in it, or ha- if they have invested in it, but also this is a real good way to preserve your own kind of yeah you know, and funds, right? It's funny, isn't it? Because because I don't really want to contribute to the hype cycle, but I was having a conversation mm. with a colleague last night who was saying this is still pretty early doors. Like Bitcoin year on year is is produced like twenty fold. Uh, return on investment it's mm. not necessarily you can't say that it's definitely going to do that but that's what mm. it's done to date and you kind of sit there and go hmm would it be sensible not to put all of my savings into bitcoin but would it be mm-hmm. sensible to go right here's a thousand pounds just going to put a thousand aside a year maybe mm. and just forget about it and mm. have it there as a rainy day and if everything else suddenly screws up you've got at least a bit in the same way that that the large institutions are beginning to reevaluate their position. Hmm. Should an individual go, maybe I don't want all of my money in a, in a FICO kind of in, in my Barclays bank account. Maybe yeah. I just want to put a little bit there just yeah. in case, not, not so much that it's like, there's all of my life savings. If it, if it's suddenly that, you know, there's a, there's, there's, there's a, a soft point in the market and you lose all your money, but mm. something that you could, you know, a few hundred or a thousand or whatever you can afford, with, but but a chunk mm. that you can just go, well, there we go. There it is for a rainy day. And let's just have it as a, as a safety net. Yeah. I th- and, and I think that's the best way for people to then also gain a bit of confidence, um, I guess, in, in using it. Um, mm. uh, you know, obviously we, we can't sit here and give any 
kind of financial advice. Probably need to put that in a little disclaimer. But um, oh, absolutely not. No, I I am yeah. shit with money. We both are. I think we've 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 touched upon our kind of financial uh, decisions in the past. Um, but I think I think now it's a lot about kind of. I 100% agree with you. Where it's put a little bit away see you know what you can read the rewards it is not going to be for everyone and will it become uniform one day you know am i part of that, that those people i don't think so i don't think we will ever be a 100 percent kind of crypto society at least not in my lifetime right um who knows what, what what's to, to kind of happen in the future but i think there is a lot of stuff around you know kind of the the ease the the accessibility um but then obviously there's a huge clout on security and aspect and who's buying it and kind of, you know, what you're buying and what you can use it for and these sorts of things. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, um, yeah. I th- I when, think- it comes, when it comes to security, just on that note, I mean, the safest way to store your Bitcoin, Casa. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, it's it's good to be able to talk up our guest, but you know, Casa has been mm. featured in the New York Times, Forbes, TechCrunch, Microsoft. So yeah. Yeah, what, what Jameson is building is is something that is a is a necessary solution because how you how you keep this stuff secure is is quite difficult. It's massive, and and also there's a million and one of these people. I don't know if you've ever seen it on like social media where you know it's these Bitcoin traders and they say, oh, you know, put some in my wallet and do this and all this sort of stuff, right? And I've replied back to a few of those people just to kind of find out what their kind of situation is. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're a Bitcoin trader and we could do this. It makes, it makes but, you think of an email saying, I'm a prince in Africa. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need, uh, I need $500 or something <laughs> yeah, to, um... to get me out of, you know, my kidnap situation or whatever. But, th- you know, th- there are so many people out there and because it's not regulated you know as, as as kind of proper investments are and that sort of thing i think it's um you know i think we're we're way we're we're way off for it to be absolute kind of you know a household thing and 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 kind of you know the the average normal joe blogs on the street to 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 endorse it but i think we're getting there because it's definitely we're moving in a different yeah, i think it's definitely moved away from a cult weird thing because i remember when i was at university it was about 12 30, 12 years ago there was a guy in my first year that you know bought loads of bitcoin and and he's been kind of you know and, and i remember him telling us and we were like this guy's a weirdo he's like you know he's got no mates or whatever and yeah <laughs> don't know what he does in bitcoin and lo and behold you know he's uh he's he's he's, he's more well off than i am at the moment uh, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give him that but yeah you know, should I have listened back back in the day? Probably, but you know, you, you learn. Hindsight's the wonderful thing, mate. It is, man. It is. Um, but yeah, it's it's moving in the right direction, and we need yeah, people yeah. like Jameson to to kind of come help to spread the good message, but also show the quality and and you know the, the someone who's clued up who can yeah fair, clued up but can put this in layman's terms that you or I can understand. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, that's all for today. We're not going to have any news. I'll be perfectly uh, honest. Uh, we're recording on the day of release, which doesn't normally happen. The podcast would have been out by five o'clock in the morning and it's already nearly 10 o'clock. So it's going to be halfway through the day before the pod gets out. So sorry about that. But dropping into your, your streams ready for the weekend. Akish, thanks for your time. No have problems. a lovely few days off.